Yesterday, I preached on faith, and I want to briefly rehash the main points from that homily because our readings today, our, our first reading in particular, offer some insights into the motives of credibility, the reasons for accepting God's revelation and making the ascent of faith. So yesterday, I talked about how there is faith on a human level, uh, and, and this simply means just accepting something is true based on the testimony of, of, of a witness, of, of another. And we accept the testimony of a witness because we reason this or that witness to be credible. Divine faith, supernatural faith, what's different is the witness, right? Uh, supernatural faith is a supernatural virtue by which we believe firmly in the truths God has revealed to us. And the reason we believe what God has revealed to us is because the witness is God. God who cannot deceive nor be deceived. He is the one who reveals himself to us, who, you know, the fullness of, of his revelation is, is in the person of Jesus Christ, who, who comes down from heaven to, to reveal himself to us. So what God reveals to be true is the most certain of all knowledge, because he alone is all-knowing. He alone cannot deceive nor be deceived. God speaks truly or else there's nothing true. However, the question is, how do we know that God is truly spoken? And the answer is that God has shown us he spoke by acting in ways that only he could act. You know, the miracles he worked throughout salvation history, the incredible amount of prophecies he gave to the prophets which have been fulfilled, and the witness of the people of God in the Old and New Testament, the holiness and, and perseverance of the church uh, in spite of persecution and scandals. These were all the motives of credibility. They are all supernatural signs pointing to the truth of the Catholic faith. All right, if you're wondering why I'm rehashing all of that, it's because our first reading touches on one of those motives of credibility, the church. In our first reading taken from the Acts of the Apostles, we find the apostles are once again in hot water with the Sanhedrin. Uh, yesterday, our first reading ended with the Sanhedrin um, wanting basically to put the apostles to death. All right, they've this is not the first time they've had to take them to task for preaching the truth uh, boldly preaching the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Enter the Pharisee Gamaliel. Gamaliel stands up, asks the apostles to be removed so he can address the assembly, and, and he's a respected figure. He basically says, and, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here, he says, look, there have been other guys in recent years who have claimed to be the Messiah and who developed something of a following, but eventually nothing came of them. They died, and their movements died not long after them. So he recommends the Sanhedrin let these men alone because if this scheme of theirs is the work of men, it will fail, like all false messiahs inevitably do. However, Gamaliel warns, if this movement comes from God, you will not be able to destroy them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. So they don't kill the apostles, they merely flog them and let them go. Gamaliel wasn't a believer, but his words and their inescapable logic have reverberated down through the centuries, down to today as a testament to the truth of the faith. The Sanhedrin hasn't been around for 1,700 years. The Roman emperors, at least those ruling in the western half, they've been gone for 1,500 years. Yet on this day, that fisherman, St. Peter's 266th successor, Pope Francis, shepherds over a billion people. You know, there is a story that Napoleon Bonaparte got into a heated argument with the Catholic Cardinal Ercole Consalvi. 
This was at the end of the 18th century and Napoleon had invaded Rome. Napoleon said, quote, Your eminence, are you not aware that I have the power to destroy the Catholic Church? End quote. The cardinal responded, quote, Your majesty, we the Catholic clergy have done our best to destroy the church for the last 1800 years. We have not succeeded and neither will you. You know, the church has persisted down through the years, not because of the holiness of her members, nor the holiness of her clergy, though in the lives of the saints, we see precisely that. No, the church has persisted because she is a divine institution and Christ promised the gates of hell will not prevail against her. She won't uh, be torn apart by persecution from without or scandals from within. You know, I'll close with this. In his classic work, The Everlasting Man, the British Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton describes what he calls the five deaths of the faith. These are five moments in history when the Roman Catholic Church seemed doomed to either perish entirely or else fade away to the fringes of society. In all five of these instances, the church, quote, to all appearances, seemed to have been hollowed out from within by doubt and indifference. Yet she rose again with new vigor, for in every such case the sons were fanatical for the faith, or the fathers had been slack about it. In each of these cases, an age of crisis was swiftly followed by an era of renewal, in which forces threatening the faith either receded or were discredited, and the church itself revived. Time and again, Chesterton wrote, the faith has to all appearances gone to the dog, but each time it was the dog that died. Gamaliel was correct. If this venture of those Galilean fishermen and a tax collector was from God, no one would be able to destroy it. The perseverance of the church, in spite of persecutions and famines and plagues, in spite of wars and collapsing empire, most of all, in spite of the sins and scandals of her clergy and her members, the perseverance of the church is one of the many supernatural signs, the motives of credibility, the reasons behind our faith. So, let's give thanks for Gamaliel. He may not have been a believer, but his argument rings true even today.